Well, good morning, community of faith. It is uh, good to see you on this early morning. I know your body's probably not adjusted yet to the actual time um, because our bodies are just that way. We get in our uh, routine, our habits. Uh, what's up to all of you watching online? I know maybe some of you are, are sleeping in. Uh, maybe you forgot to change your clocks. I don't know that that happens as much as it used to because our phones do it for us automatically, which kind of makes me grumpy. Uh, I know some of you are traveling today because it's spring break for a lot of people. So if you're traveling, um, we're a little bit upset with you today because you're probably somewhere really nice. Uh, but we are in part two of a series called The Bible, More Than a Book. And like Cherie said, uh, you're going to want to look at the message notes today. So if you've not already done that, you may want to jump on there and, and find those quickly before we jump in. But um, you'll notice this morning that I did pack my lunch and uh, because we may be here a while today. So I hope you packed your lunch. Um, you're like, Man, Wes, it's spring break. Come on, give us a break. Okay, uh, it's not just because it's going to be a long message. I hope it's not too long of a message, but I did bring my lunch. And uh, so I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to eat that while I'm up here today. Is that okay with you? Um, I don't understand. Let's see. Oh, we got some teether crackers. I don't know if you've ever had those. I haven't either. Uh, We got some yogurt melts. All right, so I got some baby food, some yogurt melts, some teether crackers. Um, I got a spoon. And I even have a bib. Man, this is going to be a good day. But, however, before I eat, I want to, uh, I need, I'm going to need some help with this. And so this is the moment everybody gets nervous. Don't worry, I've already pre-selected somebody to come up here and help me um, eat today. And so, Matt, where are you at, Matt? He left. I told him he was coming on stage. He said, deuces. Um, There he is. He's on his way up. Y'all give it up for my friend Matt as he comes up on the stage to help me um, eat today, to eat my uh, early lunch. Matt, come on over here, man. How are you? You're a little nervous, aren't you? I would be too because, you know, I haven't known Matt for a long time. We've gotten to know each other a little bit over the last few months, and now he's regretting that um, greatly. Um, But Matt, I'm going to eat my lunch, and um, good news is, you don't have to eat with me. However, based on the selection of food up here, I'm going to need you to help me eat. Um, In other words, I'm going to need you to feed me this morning. He didn't know this was happening. Like, I just said, hey, just trust me. (laughs) So, um, and you you start wherever you want to start. I'm going to take a drink real quick um, while you're... Maybe we start with one of these. I don't know which one's which, but I hope they both taste good. Um, but yeah, yeah. While, while you do that, I'm going to take a swig. That's really hard to drink out of. Like, our children might be dehydrated, because you can't drink out of this very fast. Um, I did adult it, though, and I put Red Bull in there, so um, we're winning this morning. Um, all right, hey, hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. Usually when somebody's about to feed me, they put my bib on first. I got to keep my clothes looking sharp this morning. So um, go ahead and put that on me. <laughs> you, may, you may have to just tuck. Yeah, I can't breathe. Um, you don't want to just put it in. There, that, that works. That works. What does it say? Wait, wait. Say that again in the mic. Voted most handsome. Voted most handsome. That's what he said. Weird. I wonder where that came from. All right. Well, let's, let's eat. What are, what are we eating? Uh, apple, strawberry, banana. Apple, strawberry, banana. Mmm, sounds terrible. All right. Okay. 
That's not too bad. Um, hey, well, let's, we, we, got a lot, we got a long ways to go and not a lot of time, so oh, oh, that's a big spoon. Yeah, hang, hang on a second. Can you, do, can you do that, like, airplane thing? You know, that's what, that's what most people do. Just, just real quick, just once. You don't have to do it once. All right, that's a bumblebee. I was more of a bumblebee than an airplane, but um, you know what? We'll go with it. Hang on a second. Um, let me try. Let's, let's try these teether crackers. I can't open it. You could open those for me. You're like, I'm about to put this in your mouth, Wes? No, I'll, I'll, you know what, I think I can handle that. You can just put it in my hand. That's terrible. <laughs> it doesn't taste, like, the fact that whatever's in this jar tastes a lot better than this tells you everything you need to know about this. Um, mm, how do you feel? Damn, that's, that, that's really bad. So we're feeding our children these that probably reduce the uh, water in your body by 50% every bite you take. And then we're giving them these to try to stay hydrated. We're, we're just really messing up on the feeding our children. All right, let's, let's, keep, let's keep going. Yeah, we're going to be here a while. How do you feel about being on social media this week, feeding one of the pastors at COF baby food? All right. All right, I think I'm, I think I'm good. Um, hey, I appreciate you. Y'all, y'all give it up for Matt. He's, he's a trooper. Appreciate you, man. Thankful for you. I hope we can still be friends. I'm going to take off my, uh, my bib. Thanks for, like, you didn't even get the bib dirty. You've got experience in all of this. Um, listen, I, you sat there and watched that. I just want to say thank you for that because that might be maybe the most ridiculous thing you've ever watched in church. Some of you are like, mm-hmm. You just watched... Two grown men on this stage, one in his 40s, being fed by another man. Now, not just a man in his 40s, but a man in his 40s who um, has a job, who's fully able to function in the world and do all the things that he needs to do to stay responsible in my, in my family, in my job, and, and, and just being a part of the community. And yet somebody was feeding me. And that's ridiculous because I know how to feed myself because I've learned that over time. And the reason that I wanted to illustrate this was because I, th- I think there's a decent chance you may never forget what you just saw. And I want to apologize for that. But as you remember and think back on what you just saw, I'm hopeful that this idea will stick in our minds as we think about the Bible today. My fear is, is that in American church, there are many people who have been people of faith, Jesus followers, Christians for 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years but we're living that one-year faith over and over and over instead of building and shaping a faith that's continuing to grow and continue to adjust and continuing to be shaped. And the reason is, is because I'm, I'm afraid that many of us struggle to know how to really feed ourselves when it comes to reading the Bible. And so we'll show up here in this place, and I'm not putting all this responsibility on anybody in this room, so please hear me. I think sometimes we can show up in a place like this and we're fed, we experience something, we learn something, and then we go through the rest of our week with no ability to continue to feed ourselves throughout the week. You know, last week, Bertie taught an incredible message as he kicked off this two-week series, and he talked about the Bible, he talked about the credibility of the Bible and why we trust it and why we can um, follow the things that it says. But he made a statement, and I've thought about this statement all week, and so this is where, this statement is what this 
was what produced all of this. So if this made you uncomfortable, just blame Bertie. Send him an email. You have his email address if you were here last week. Let him know how disappointed you are that that happened. But he made a statement and he said this. He said, a childlike faith is not a childish faith. A childlike faith is not a childish faith. In other words, as we understand the Bible for all that it is, we begin to mature, we begin to grow, we begin to become more of something. But I think there's an incredible value in being able to do this some for ourselves so we're not always dependent on somebody feeding us as we walk through this life. Last week, Bertie pointed to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, all scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. Now, as I read that passage and I get to this last line and a half, there's nothing in me that looks at fully capable and equipped for every good work and says, I don't want that. I I desire that. I want that for myself. I want that for us this morning, that we would be able, we would be equipped, that we would be um, functioning in all the things that God has for us. And so in, in order to do that, here's what I want to do today. I want to, be able, I want to be able to give us three quick steps so that each one of us can feed ourselves when it comes to reading the Bible. And it's three questions. Three questions I think we can ask anytime we read a passage of Scripture. The first one is simply, what does it say? The second is, what does it mean? And the third is, what does it mean for me? Let's say those together out loud because, man, if there's nothing else you leave with other than this terrible image in your head, I'm hopeful that we can leave with these three questions in our minds, and it leads us to a place this week to begin to feed ourselves. So let's say these together out loud on three. Uh, One, two, three. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean for me? Those are fascinating questions. And so to kind of help understand this today, what I want to do is I want to read through a passage that maybe is familiar. It's a passage that I've taught on before in student ministry, um, even here a few years ago in the main room. And it comes from Philippians chapter 4. But what I want to do is I want to model what it looks like to answer those three questions. And so if you're a note taker this morning, you're going to have plenty to write down. If you're not a note taker today, I encourage you to maybe let this be the day that you do take notes. At least follow along with those message notes. That's why we've emphasized that this morning. But the first step, the first question is observation. This is where the question, what does it say, comes from. The first step in all of this is simply to observe what's going on. And you need three things to do this. You need a book. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't already have a hard copy of the Bible, Grab one, get one. We have hundreds of them. If you need one today and you're like, man, I don't have a hard copy. I don't have one that I can actually turn the pages in. We would love to give that to you today so that you can have this because I think there's something valuable in being able to disconnect from our electronics and open up these, these, these pages, open up this book to begin to understand it. So you need a book, you need a look, you've got to actually look at it, you've got to see it, you've got to read it, and then you need a nook, you need a place. So discover a place, and as you find those three things, begin to read and understand what Philippians chapter 4 says. And so let's jump in to this passage. And as we think about this, what does it say as we're reading? This is what I do, is I often will look as I read for four things, and I, I call these the four W's. Ask the four W's, who, what, where, and when. I know I got them out of order. Who, what, when, and where. And so as we read through these few verses, just begin to kind of look for those things. Let's start in verse 4. Philippians 4, verse 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord is near. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then he finishes with this. He says, as for these things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, if we had a lot of time, and I know you didn't pack your lunch, so we're not going to spend a lot of time, we could really unpack the entire chapter of Philippians. If we had even more time, we could unpack the entire book of Philippians, but I want to look at just these few verses. Now, I said, I want you to ask the four W's, who, what, when, and where. And I'm not going to have, I'm not able to put the, the verses on the screen as I'm talking through this. This is why I hope, hopefully you have your Bible. If you don't, um, Bible app or the sermon notes. But as we unpack what are the who, what, the when, and the where. How do we know? What is this saying? Because it's more than just words on a text. It's more than words on a page. Well, this is what my pages look like. I wanted to give you just a glimpse. And for some of you, you're like, man, I just don't do that. I can't do that. But this is what pages look like in my Bible. As I, this is that passage, verse 4 through verse 9. Notice I circle things. I highlight things. I, I highlighted the things that are answering the questions to who. So we've got some of that. I'm, I'm making notes that maybe mean something. Notice down here, I've got some lists. We're going to talk about that. I've numbered and I've lettered things. Like I, I, I kind of make a mess of the page, but as I make a mess of this page, I think I'm able to better understand the message that is being communicated. So who are, who are we talking about? Who are the people in this passage? In this particular passage, the author is Paul. The only reason I know that is because I've read the book of Philippians, and many of you have as well. And that's the beauty of studying scripture. The more you study it, the more you read it, the more you understand the who and, and, and who the recipients are and some of the things that are happening. So we kind of pulled this random scripture out of Philippians chapter 4, but we know that the author is Paul the apostle. We know that the recipients are what he calls brothers and sisters, what that means is the, the specific followers of Jesus that he's writing to, people, people in the church, people like you and me, but thousands of years ago. He also mentions all people. Now, that's different from the recipients of this letter because he's talking about something specific for all people, whether they're in the church or out of the church. And then he mentions God, and he uses several different uh, descriptions of God. He says Lord God. He says the God of peace. He says uh, in Christ Jesus. So he uses different ways of describing God in this. So we know what the who. And listen. Take a deep breath. Don't get overwhelmed with this because it's a lot of information. And today's, today feels different. It feels a little bit maybe awkward because it's not your normal sermon, but I think there's something so incredibly valuable if we can begin to just wrap our minds around some of this together as a church. So all we're looking for is simply observations. We're not making any sense of anything yet. We're just looking for the things that we see so they can know what the passage is saying. So we know the who. Next is the what. What is happening in this passage? Based on some of the things we read, maybe there's some sort of conflict or struggle. You get a sense that there's some sort of struggle going on here. He talks about being anxious. So maybe there's some anxiety being experienced by the people that he is writing to. And we know that Paul is encouraging this group. In these two things, he's sending things that would be encouraging. He's talking about peace. He's talking about things that are good, things that are lovely. So it tells us a little bit of what is happening in this passage. So we got the who, we have the what, which leads us to the when. When is this taking place? Well, you, you can't find that just in these few verses. But this is what I want to encourage you. If you don't already have one of these, I want to show you. I'm not reading from it today because it's really heavy and hard to hold on to when you're walking around um, up here. But this is my study Bible. This is what I use at home to study. 
And it's a Bible that has more than just the text. It's got a lot of footnotes. It's got a lot of things that help unpack. It has a lot of historical and cultural um, information to help me understand settings and the, the scenes that the different books were written in or to, uh, understanding the audience, understanding the author. You can find that for every single book in the Bible. And if you don't already have one of these, I want to encourage you to, to find one. Find the study Bible that you can begin to learn more about what these verses are saying. That's how I know that this was taking place in AD 61. And I do the math, and that reminds me that that's about almost 30 years after the death of Jesus. I find that out as I begin to continue to study. But also, the Roman Empire was in full force in this day. So we know the who, the what, the when, and then we need to know the where. What is the where? Where is Philippi? It's where we get Philippians from. We also know that the church at Philippi was the first church in continental Europe. And it's on the far, it's still there. There's, there's still remnants of this city. There's a lot of archaeological digs in this area, but it's in the far eastern portion of modern-day Greece. And we know that in this passage, from what Paul says in some of the earlier verses of the book, that Paul is actually writing this letter from a prison in Rome. He has been imprisoned because of his faith. And so Paul finds himself in this place. So we have the who, the what, the when, and the where. We're beginning to understand some of the things that are, that are there to see, that we're, that we're recognizing some of the things that this passage says, but we can continue on not only to look at those four W's, but we also look for repetition. This is something that I find fascinating. As you're reading any passage of Scripture, look specifically for things that are repeated. This verse doesn't have a lot, but it does have a couple. The first thing we see repeated is this idea, rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And he says, I'll say it again, rejoice, exclamation mark. There's something important in him emphasizing that. He doesn't want us to miss that. But he also mentions the word peace a couple of times. He's wanting us to recognize this, and so it's important. This is where I underline or I'll circle some of the things that are repetitive. Not only do I look for things that are repetitive, but I consider using a list. Maybe this is something you can begin to do as you read the Bible. This passage actually has several different lists you could potentially make. There's two lists that I almost always make when I'm reading any passage of Scripture. The first one is what is the passage asking the audience, the reader, to do? What are some specific steps that are being mentioned to take? In this particular passage, we hear him, or we read, he says, rejoice in the Lord. He says, do not be anxious. He says, let your gentle spirit be known. Let your requests be known. And then he says, think about, and he mentions several things. Well, that's a whole other list that we'll get to. And then he says, practice these things, and that's a whole other list. So we've got three lists so far. So he's, 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 he's telling us to do something. But there's a reason that he's telling them to do something. The second list is what I just said. What is he saying to think about? He's saying think on these things, things that are true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable, anything of excellence and anything worthy of praise. Paul is saying think on these things. So that's another list. If you noticed, if you go back to the the picture I showed you a second ago, I had numbers written above each one of these words, above true and honorable and right. I had one, two, three. And then I made a list off into the side in the margin. Another list you could make out of this passage. Paul specifically says, practice these things you've learned, received, heard, and seen. There's something important there. He's wanting us to do something with this. And one of the other two lists I almost always make when I'm reading a passage of Scripture is anything that is promising something. It's telling me something that's true. And as Paul is saying all of this in just these short few verses, he promises that the Lord is near, that he's close. He says the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He's telling the church at Philippi that. And he says the God of peace will be with you. Those are promises that Paul is making. 
The last part of understanding what a passage is saying is simply this, to pay attention to relationships between ideas. Now this one gets a little bit tricky. And you're, you're probably gonna get this wrong sometimes, I get this wrong sometimes, and I, I can go through, and I don't think it's so much trying to get it right or wrong as much as just studying and letting God's word, which is promised to be alive and active, to become just that, it would become alive and active for us. And so as we pay attention to some of these relationships we see in the ideas that are presented in this passage, we can look for it in a couple of specific ways. The first way is cause and effect. You see this in, chapter, in verse six and seven, and then again in verse nine. He says, do not be anxious about anything. And then he says, let your request be known to God. So we see the cause there, and then we see the effect. What's the effect? That he will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. There's something there that happens as a result of what we do. We're, we're not to be anxious, but we're supposed to let our prayer and our request be known to God. In verse 9, he says, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see the cause, and you see the effect in both of these ideas. The next one is this, look for if and then. As you're reading any passage, look for the words if and then. You see this in one of the verses in this passage, in verse eight, it says, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Well, it might be important to pay attention to that, and it is, and we'll see that in just a second. I'll give you another example that's maybe a little bit more clear in this specific uh, instance. When you're thinking about if and then, if you think about 2 Chronicles 7.14, which I say is really relevant for us today, but it says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I, being God, will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. You see the if and you see the end, the then. Not only that, you can think about questions and answers. Again, that's not something that's in this passage, but you see this throughout scripture. You see this in Psalm chapter 24, verse eight. It says, who is the king of glory? Well, the Lord. The Lord is strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. You see the question and you see the answer in the very same passage. I'll just give you a lot of information. You're probably thinking, Wes, I don't even know where, I don't, I don't know how to even begin to make this happen. This seems overwhelming. It seems like it would take way too much time. But I think we have time. I was reading this week, and I found this very fascinating. A guy was writing about reading the Bible, and he said, did you know the average American that reads at the average speed of most Americans can read the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, in 72 hours? So I did the math. And if you break that down, and you were going to just read it, not study it, just read the Bible, you could do that by spending 16 minutes and 36 seconds, five days a week, 52 weeks out of the year, you could read through the entire Bible. You can read half of the books of the Bible in less than 30 minutes. And you can actually read 26 books in the Bible in less than 15 minutes. My point in saying all that is I think we do have the time. In a book I read recently, it said that the average American spends 27.5 hours on entertainment every single week. So if you were to take just that 16 minutes and 36 seconds and you were to multiply that times five, you're spending about an hour and 36 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes reading the Bible and you still have 26 minutes left for entertainment. But what if you packed even a little bit more on top of that and began to actually study it and answer some of these questions, what will we begin to learn about the, what the Bible's trying to say to us? Which leads us to the second question. We've looked and we've seen. We've seen all the things that uh, help us understand the, the specific things being said. Well, let's make some sense of that. It gets us to our second, second point, interpretation. What does it mean? What does this passage specifically mean to the people that it was written to? There's a handful of ways to help understand what is meant, what was intended by this passage to the audience that reads it, and really even to us today. 
The first thing we've got to consider is the context. Recognize the context. Context is important. Context is key. It's important that we understand what something was being written into, the historical, the cultural implications. But specifically when it comes to context, you can look at the near context and the far context. You can just go back and look at some of the verses before it and some of the verses after it, and it helps you understand more of what's being said. You can go a little bit further with context, and you can look at the entire chapter of Philippians chapter 4. You can look at the entire book of Philippians, or you can look at the entire Bible, because everything fits in the context of Scripture. Let me give you an example of where context and failing to recognize content, context can fail us. If you go back and read verse 7, it says this, The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Well, that's, that sounds amazing. And oftentimes, we can take a verse like this out of Scripture. There's another verse in Philippians 4.13 that we oftentimes take out of context, and we fail to understand what it really means. But what happens is when we take something out of context, if I, if I read this, then I, what I'm hearing is that the peace of God, which is beyond anything I can think about in my head and fully understand, is going to guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. But that's actually not what this passage is saying, because there's more to this as we understand the context. Context is important. Yesterday... I was looking at the United States president's Twitter. Now, I can say that today, and it doesn't make anybody uncomfortable unless you're, uh, maybe there's, there's just some, some aggravation there or maybe some incredible, incredible loyalty there. That's not my point. But if I was to go back 25 years ago and talk to my grandfather on the couch when I was a teenager and say, hey, hey granddad, yesterday I was looking at the United States president's Twitter. He's going to be really uncomfortable with that statement because he has no idea what that means because he doesn't have the full context. He's going to be really weirded out. He's going to be like, man, I, 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 dude, that's, that's not okay. You know, I don't even know what's going on there because context is that important. You see the importance of this. We've got to understand context. And if you go back to this passage and you read just a few verses ahead, you see that Paul is talking to these groups of Jesus followers and he's addressing some of the conflict going on that's a result of them trying to stand firm as a church and continue to live out the plans and purposes that God has for them individually and as a church. And there's some exhaustion that comes with that. And there's some anxiety that comes with that, some worry. And so he's speaking into this church culture of Jesus followers who don't know everything about Jesus yet, but they're trying to get some of these things right. They're trying to live for Jesus. They're trying to make a difference in the city of Philippi for the name of Jesus. And so Paul is trying to encourage them. You understand that more as you begin to expand the context of the passage. And this becomes easier and easier the more we read, the more that we study. But not only are we supposed to recognize the context, but it's also important that we study cross-references. Specifically, looking at verses, looking at other scripture, allowing scripture to interpret scripture. For this particular passage, one of the cross-references I would encourage anyone to go after is Acts chapter 16, because what you read in Acts chapter 16 is the actual historical account, the descriptive account of Paul going on a second missionary journey to the Macedonian area and planting the first church in Europe in the city of Philippi. You read about this, and you begin to get a little more understanding, a little more context of the scene that Paul is writing to in Philippians chapter 4. But maybe you want to dive in a little bit more and look at other verses in the Bible that talk about worry or anxiety. Well, you can go to Matthew chapter 6. You can go to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7, where it says, cast all your anxiety on the Lord. And you begin to really solidify some of the meaning 
of the passages that we're reading. The last thing that we do, not the, la- the last thing that we can do in the interpretation portion, what does this mean, is to simply come to a place where we would draw a conclusion. And in order to draw a conclusion, we're taking everything that we observed, everything that we see the passage saying, and we combine it with some of the, the meaning that we've been able to unpack, the context that we see, the historical background, some of the cultural preferences of the day that this was written into, and we get to put, put that all together to understand what is the conclusion of this specific passage. And for the sake of time, let me just kind of give you a quick snippet of what I think Paul is saying here. Paul is writing to these, this group of young believers, these brothers and sisters, as he described, and he's saying the Lord is near. He's saying the, the Lord is close. Don't forget that. In fact, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I know life is difficult, but let your spirit be gentle to all the people. That's what he's saying. Let your spirit be gentle. I don't know about you, but I've found it very difficult. This is Wes removing himself from the story for a second. I found it incredibly difficult to be gentle sometimes in the days and season that we find ourselves in. With all the things going on around us, I also find it difficult to rejoice well, the people in Philippi were the exact same way. They were human just like us. So I'm sure that they were struggling with this a little bit. So what does Paul say? He says, don't be anxious. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be overwhelmed with the circumstances going on in your life. There's actually something you can do in order to experience peace. And what does he say? He says, let your request be known to God. In other words, let them, let them, let them out. Let them, let them go. Stop trying to push them down. Stop trying to keep them back. When I read this passage, I cannot help but thinking of the game whack-a-mole. Any whack-a-mole fans in the house today? Anybody watching online? Probably not, because it's a ridiculous game. But what's the point of the game? Just keeping all the moles down in the ground. And I think we do that as humans with our concerns, with our worry, with our stress, with our anxiety, with the things that are trying to rise up in our lives. We're like, no, 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 I got to keep that down. Keep it all down. Keep it all back. Hold it all back. And the idea is just let it go. Let it up. Let it rise. Let it be known to God. He already knows it anyways. But there's something that we experience in that. And what he says is we experience the peace, peace for our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And he says, think about things that are good, things that are lovely, things that are commendable. Take scripture at face value. When he says that, oftentimes I find myself at times reading scripture and I begin to think to myself, man, what does he mean by that? Think about things that are lovely. Think about things that are excellent. Think about things that are pure. And I begin to think, well, what does that particular word mean in the Greek, which was the original language that that passage was written? And, what, and I think we failed to just take it for face value. I think what Paul is saying is he's saying, fix your perspective. Fix your eyes somewhere else. Stop looking at the source of your anxiety and look to things that are good. Look to the things that God has given. Look at the things that God has done. Look at the, the, the things that are happening in your family. Look at the things that are happening in your friendships that are good because every single one of us have things that are good regardless of how messed up things are. Specifically for us, what I do in that is I actually have a journal that I write in and I'll just start making a list sometimes because I'll get so overwhelmed with anxiety and stress and I'll just start focusing on things that are good and as I get to the bottom of the page and filling that page with things that are good and excellent and lovely, my mind begins to settle. It's fascinating, but it's, it's a spiritual truth that Paul is describing in this passage. I think that's the conclusion that we come to because God is calling us, just like he was calling the Philippian church, to something bigger than ourselves, a life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life of lived on mission for him and all about him in our lives, in the places that we find ourselves. 
And you see this in this passage. And maybe right now you're thinking, Wes, this is a lot. I don't know where you get all this. Well, I've, I've studied for years. And I don't say that to brag because you know what? Even though I've studied for years, there's a lot of things I still don't know. That's true for all of us. There's always more because God is never ending. There's always more to learn about him. Maybe one of the things you need to do is try some additional resources. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Just mention some of these. Maybe a Bible commentary written by a Bible scholar to help understand more of the context and the meaning of the passages that we're reading to give some examples. Maybe for some it's considering purchasing the Logos software. It's an online software with lots of Bible commentaries and um, descriptions and things that help understand the Bible. It's all about the Bible and most all the, all the things on this I, I trust. I trust the resources. I trust the value of this. And it can get really expensive, but there's also some really cheap packages. But maybe this is something to consider. At the least, maybe have a conversation with somebody else about the same passage that you're studying together. Some of you are in a small group this week. This is going to be the task for you and your small group this week is just to unpack the rest of Philippians chapter 4, just like I've done here today. What would it look like to begin to understand the meaning of what we're reading? You know, we have a, a few different responses here that we can make. We can choose to simply just ignore it and dismiss it. Maybe you're here today because your spouse drug you here, your parents drug you here, or maybe it's just kind of a routine. And I think it's real easy to kind of get in this routine of just ignoring what we hear. I think it would be a dangerous response to what we've heard today. Or maybe it's not just ignoring, but it's just dismissing, like recognizing that, yeah, that's true, but right now it's not important to me, so I'm just going to kind of dismiss that and push that to the side. The danger in that, though, is not only do you suffer, but the people around you suffer, because I think there's a lot of people in our world that are dismissing the things of Jesus because his followers are dismissing the things of Jesus, and they're watching us. They want to see what's different about us. So I think the only adequate response is to, to own it, to believe it, which is the third thing. We think about the observation. What does it say? We think about the interpretation. What does it mean? And then we think about the application. What does it mean for me? What do I do with this? There's a few things to ask yourself as you consider, what does this mean for you? The first thing is, what effect does this have for my relationship with God? As you consider what you just read, What effect does it have on my relationship with God? The first question, the most important question we have to ask here is, is there a relationship with God? Has there ever been a moment where you said, ah, I I see it now. My eyes are open to who God is and his love for me and how he sent Jesus to the cross that we talked about and we celebrated and remembered when we took communion just a little while ago that he sent Jesus to the cross for the forgiveness of my sins and that Jesus was killed but that he came back to life on the third day so that I could have a second chance at life. He did what I couldn't do in my place because God's love for me is that strong, because he desired that relationship with me. Last week, I was talking to a guy in the lobby. And he walked up to me, and we started having a conversation with some other people that I knew, and started talking about baptism, and then we started talking about what baptism is, and ultimately started talking about Jesus. And I just simply said, is, is there a relationship with Jesus? And there was an uncertainty about that. And so right there in the lobby last Sunday after this service, this young man called out to God and said, God, I want to trust you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus. I want to live for you for the rest of my life. And today, after the service, we're going to baptize him outside in the baptism pool. It's an incredible story, but it's the most important thing to consider anytime we're reading scripture. What, is, what impact does this have on my relationship with God? What is this teaching me about God? What am I understanding about God as I understand this passage? Not only do we think about the effect that it has in our relationship with God, but what effect does it have on my relationship with others? the people that I'm close to, my family, my spouse, my kids, 
my coworkers, my friends down the street, the, the people that I associate with and run into around town? What difference does it make? Well, I, I can tell you for me in this particular passage, I find myself to be really impatient and kind of a jerk sometimes when I'm overwhelmed with anxiety. And Paul is giving us a remedy today. He's saying, let your requests be known to God. Plead with him with thanksgiving. And it says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says, think about these things and then practice the things. Practice the things that you've seen. Practice the things you've seen other people do and they begin to find freedom in the life that God has called them to live. Practice those things. Watch what they do. Experience God for yourself. And as you learn things for yourself, practice. Continue to practice. Continue to take those next steps. And in, in doing that, it's going to begin to inf- impact the relationships with other people. You're going to be a better friend, a better, a better boss, a better spouse, a better son, a better daughter. Not just because you've cleaned yourself up, but because you've experienced a transformation that comes when we begin to live out the things that God has called us to do. And in that, we begin to see the effect that it has on ourselves. I've shared this before, but several years ago, four years ago, actually, about this time of the year, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was really early. We, we walked through that journey, and she's doing fantastic now and just kind of going for regular checkups, and everything's good. Man, it was really overwhelming, and I was really stressed out, and I learned something about myself in that. I was carrying that anxiety. I, I started to kind of dismiss some of the things that God was calling me to do in that season because I was so focused on her and focused on our boys and just making it through that situation. I was praying, but I wasn't spending a lot of time really diving into my own relationship with God. And I started having chest pains. The whole left side of my body was hurting. And I went through tests and MRIs and CAT scans and everything you could possibly think of to try to figure out what was wrong. And finally, my doctor said to me, is there anything going on in your life that might be a little bit stressful? I was like, yeah, let me tell you about it. And he goes, man, I think it's stress. And I learned something. My body carries stress on the left side of my abdomen. And so when I start to find myself in a stressful time, that pain starts to show up. You know what the remedy is for me? It's not medication, and sometimes it might need medication, but it's doing what Paul's talking about. It's a next step that God is continuing to call me to take, which is really what you need to consider. What is the step I need to take? What is the action that you need to do? As you think about the passage that you study today, this week, as you continue to live life, what's the application step? And I'll leave you with this. Information plus application equals transformation. And I know for some, maybe you're in a place where you're a little bit frustrated because you consider this whole Jesus thing. You consider trusting God with your life. And you found yourself in a place where you're like, man, I'm not real sure that this is living up to the expectations that I had. You know, several years ago, I remember going to Ikea for the first time. You know, Ikea is a really frustrating place because you go to the store and you walk through the maze and if you're really lucky, you don't get lost or lose your child or something. But you see these things and when you see them, you see this furniture or you see these gadgets like, wow, that is amazing. I can't believe they, they have that for sale. I get to pay money for that. And you get so excited and then you go pick out the boxes and then you go check out and then you get home and you open the box and you're like, oh, shoot. And so you grab the instructions You're excited, you're eager to put this together so that you can experience what you knew you were going to be able to experience while you were in the store. Twelve hours later, you've put it together and taken it apart four times. 
because you're a man and you didn't read the instructions. And your wife is saying, if you would just read the instructions, and so you're angry, you're frustrated, you are throwing things, you are saying things, you're throwing the kids, you're throwing things at the kids. I mean, it's just a disaster. And you finally come to a place in your frustration of resignation. And you say, I can't do this. This is not what I thought it was going to be. So you pick up the phone, you say, hey, you guys mentioned that you could get this put together by a professional for $95. I want that deal. Because you've just given up. And I say that this morning because I think, I think in our lives as Jesus followers, and if you're here today and you're not there yet, that's okay. Keep studying it. Keep reading it. Because it's alive. And I think that as you do, God will open your eyes to who he is and who he wants to be for you specifically. But I know many of you here today that you would say that you are a Jesus follower. And maybe you find yourself in that place where the relationship got a little confusing, and now you're in a place, then you were in a place of frustration, and now you're in a place where it's like, I'm just not sure that I want to do this anymore. Maybe the reason is because you are starving yourself, because you show up here once a week, if you're really committed, maybe once a month, and you're fed, and it's good, it's exciting, it's life-giving. Then you get to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and that frustration starts to come back. You get to the end of the week, you're like, man, I'm ready to throw the towel in. What would it look like to begin to experience everything God has for us as we begin to study his word? And as we study it, we say, what does it say? What does it mean? But most importantly, what does it mean for me? One of the most, most common questions I hear as a pastor is something around the, along the lines of, how do I know God's will for my life? In other words, how can I become fully capable, like 2 Timothy said earlier, fully equipped for all the good work God wants to do in me and through me? How how can I get there? How can I understand that? How can I know God's will for my life? Get in his word. It's impossible to know God's will and to know God's ways apart from God's word. So what would it look like this week to jump into his word, to better understand his ways so that you can know his will specifically for your life. Begin to experience all the good works that he wants to do in you and through you. Would you consider that? Would you surrender to that? Let's pray. God, I thank you for today and I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's available to us, that it's accessible to us. God, ultimately, it's, it's abundant to us. We have access in so many different ways to the truth that you have specifically left for us, your sons and daughters. Thank you for that. And God, right now, I just pray that you would take what we've heard, what we've listened to, what we've studied today, and I pray that you would begin to cultivate something in us. As we live out this childlike faith, would you begin to mature us into who you want us to be as we open up your word and we consume it, we take it in in order to better understand you, to know you, so that it can impact our relationships, the people around us, the people we're connected to, but so that it can continue to shape in us. So give us clarity as we read. Pray that you would give us an understanding of what we see on the pages this week as we study it. And would you do miracles as we do? God, I pray that we would be in a place, I pray this for every single one of us, that we would be in a place in our lives, in the close future, 
where we could say with confidence and believe that if everything else was to go away when it comes to the things of church, this building or these comfortable chairs or the lights or the music, if everything was to all of a sudden be taken away from us, God, my prayer is, is that your word would be so valuable to us that we would say, we're okay because we still have your word and we're still connected to you. So God, give us that value. Give us that hunger this week to know it, to study it, to remember it, to say it, to speak it, to show it. We trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.